I just want to take a second to welcome you if you're visiting. Bless you. You're certainly welcome to be here and to worship with us. You know, I was just just thinking about experiences. And, um, you know, when it comes to sports, and I know there's not a lot of sports going on right now, but when it comes to sports, people talk about, oh, you know, that hockey game was so good in that. But they always talk about a whole other level of experience when they talk about playoffs. Because the energy in the building when there's playoffs is just over the top. And people always say, have you ever been to a playoff game? What's the difference? The hockey is played the same. The rules are the same. The skating's the same. The passing, the competition's the same. The difference is the engagement of the people in the room. When it comes to playoffs, there's an energy in the room because people are releasing themselves fully. Somehow, they have a permission that in this place, in this day, you can let it all out. And, and the excitement catalyzes that release. Similarly, similarly, we have different levels of experience in worship. I want you to know... That it's not the difference in the band, it's not a difference in the musicianship, it's not the difference in the song we sing, it's not the difference in God's intent from heaven. The difference is the engagement in the room. How many people have decided, I am going to pour it all out. Now we can manipulate you emotionally to bring you to that point where you're willing to do that, but we don't want to do that. We want you to worship because you know that he is worthy of it all. So if you're joining us online or you're here in the room, decide right now, I will engage with all my heart. I will engage with all my strength because he is worthy. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Let's say it together. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. So right now in this place, we want to pray for people who are sick. We have one case of a family that's connected to the church here. You know who they are, but we're going to pray for Rick for a miracle for a miracle in his liver, for a miracle in his body. You know, the God who makes mountains melt like wax can cause cancer and tumors and growths and pain to disappear from your body. So we say right now in the name of Jesus, we pray for Rick and we say, Lord, we say in Jesus' name, His body will be whole. We say in Jesus' name, His liver will cast off every foreign growth, every foreign body, every foreign infection, every foreign presence. In the name of Jesus, we say, let the spirit of resurrection rise up. Let the God who raises men and women from the dead release life in that body. And right now, everyone in this room who has pain, who has discomfort, who has inflammation, who has any condition, we say, let healing break forth on your body right now, on your mind. Headaches be gone right now. Demonic oppression be gone right now. Deafness be gone right now. 
Blindness be gone right now. Depression be gone right now in Jesus' name. Let faith arise. We declare today that we believe in the God of miracles who calls those things which are not as though they are. Amen. Let's just make this a house of prayer right now. God, we're praying for revival. We're contending that in our personal lives, Lord, a new awareness of the reality of the kingdom of heaven, of the impending glory and greatness of God being poured out in Parkland County. Father, we contend. We say in Jesus' name, make this place a habitation. Make this place a habitation. Make this place, God, like Goshen in Egypt. Father, a place of revival. A place of refuge. Come on, pray, pray, pray. We declare in Jesus' name, the kingdom of God will come here. 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 Father, let heaven fall in this community. Let heaven fall in Stony Plain. Lord, let the darkness be driven out. We say right now, let the consuming fire of God begin to be released. In Jesus' name, against occultic centers, right now those places that are havens of darkness, let them begin to shake with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Rise, rise, rise. Rise, O God. Let the name of Jesus be exalted. Now let me make something clear. The church of yesterday is not the church of today. There are things that are shifting. There are things that are changing. And part of it is the people of God are realizing that we are in an existential threat fight for our very existence. Why? Because the church has not realized what it is that we are up against. And so we've been content to live in our little bubbles. We've been content to live just enjoying simple truths. But the truth is, we've been surrounded and that noose has been tightening and tightening and tightening. And it's not a natural noose, it's a spiritual noose. But I'm telling you this. The weapons of God are mighty. The weapons of God are mighty. The weapons of God are mighty for pulling down spiritual strongholds. Listen, I don't want to preach this message right now, but you need to understand that every time when Israel came up, when they, when they came up out of Egypt, it was always about confronting not just armies. There were armies, but it was witchcraft. It was always witchcraft. It was always sorcerers and magicians. In Egypt, when Moses came to, and said, let my people go, what's the first thing Pharaoh does? He calls for the magicians, the sorcerers of Egypt, the workers of dark arts. Let me tell you, we are not against people. There might be armies of people out, out there, but the power, the power is always spiritual darkness. But there is a people rising in the earth.
that understand that evangelism isn't just talking about facts and figures and, and biblical truths and philosophies. The Bible says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. The God of this world has brought a cloud-like darkness that nullifies the capacity to think sensibly. And when Paul talks about evangelism and he talks about us praying for people, it says that they would come to their senses. Father, in Jesus' name, let a cloud of the glory of the presence of God come over Parkland County and in households and in businesses and in neighborhoods all across this jurisdiction. Let there be an awakening. Let there be an, a, a catharsis. Let there be a light that shines and removes the cloud, Relo removes the opaqueness of darkness and causes people to begin to see clearly. This is what we're unapologetic, unapologetically contending for. We are responsible for our city and our neighborhoods and our families. And we are declaring that the light of God's presence that will one day cover the earth as the waters cover the sea will cover Parkland County. If it's the first county in Canada, I don't care if it needs to be, but it will be here. It will not retreat to a passive, powerless Christianity that is content to wait to, to go to heaven to experience the power of God. We're going to experience it here. John says, as he is now, so are we in this world. There's a, there's a degree of the manifestation of God's life that you're meant to have now. Don't be content until you taste the fullness of it. So, Father, we say today, show us what it means to be believers. Show us what it means to manifest the image and the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, show us what it means to walk in the gifts of the Spirit, in the fruit of the Spirit, and in the weapons of heaven. Lord, enable us to taste of the powers of the age to come. You are called. Let me make this clear. You, every single one of you, Joel in the back, Travis in the back, Chris, every single one of you, every single one of you are called to taste of the powers of the age to come. This is not about ceremony, liturgy, or fuzzy feelings. This is about darkness that is pushed back by the light of God's presence inside of you. You are called to be an overcomer. You are called to be a warrior. You are called to be a manifestation of God on the earth. You are the only, you are the only manifestation of light that your neighbors might see. There's more to this than meets the eye. Father, thank you, God. Amen. Paul, bless you. Amen. Can you say amen? amen. Woo! Uh, so uh, I, I like uh, when, when I, whenever I speak, because I usually talk to teenagers, um, I like to start with some jokes. Uh, and so, is that okay? Okay. So, so with, with, we've done a lot of youth events over the summer, 
And as a youth pastor, you spend a lot of time at Costco. <laughs> and, uh, and here are some legitimate thoughts I have had while at Costco. I miss Wanda, the lady who hands out samples. Stupid COVID. I was her favorite customer. Second one. When COVID is over and Wanda is back to serving uh, uh, samples, we should all just go to Costco after church one day and have a potluck. I don't know why anyone hasn't suggested this yet. Uh, Third one. I only have three friends. I live in an apartment, and I've only gone river floating twice in my life. But buying a 20-foot floating island that can fit about 30 people on it seems like a really, really, really good idea. (laughs) Have you all seen that thing? (laughs) Like, it's like a floating island. If you haven't been, Costco, 200 bucks. You could probably fit three families on there. And we only have one month of summer. You'll use it once. (laughs) Probably have nowhere to store it, but we all need one. Uh, Okay, number four, I bought some eggs at Costco. The label said organic. Costco sells probably 7 billion eggs a day. Are there actually people on the planet who believe that Costco sells organic things? (laughs) If that's you, (laughs) please come see me after service. I have an essential oil to sell you. (laughs) It instantly fixes headache, the common cold, arthritis, polio, measles, mumps, rubella, athlete's foot, tennis elbow, crooked teeth, it casts out demons, and it cures leprosy. (laughs) Come on, we all have one of those oil friends. Jen Bannis. Right, every time you see them, it's like, oh, Paul, you look so stressed, and the wrinkles in your forehead are really deep today, so let me just mix my lavender oil with my honey oil and my grass oil, and then just I'll put it in my diffuser, and you can just breathe deeply, and in like 10 minutes, you'll be all better. (laughs) The scientific. (laughs) I'm sure it works. But I will continue to tease those people until the day I die. Uh, Organic at cost. Come on. Okay, number five, last one. Who in the world needs a case of 48 bars of soap? Like, that's just a little excessive. But then I remembered the smell from the boys' room last year at the youth retreat. Dear Jesus, please let three cases be enough this year. All right, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much uh, that we are family, that we get to be together, that we get to, uh, to just come together and worship you. And God, I just pray um, um, that as we spend these next few minutes together, God, that you would move, uh, that you would speak, that, that you would touch hearts where hearts need touch, that you would touch bodies where bodies need healed, um, and that you would just move across this room in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, so my, goal, my goal this morning is that each and every single one of us will kind of like leave asking ourselves some questions, is, is really like looking inside and having real honest conversations uh, with themselves. And, and so turn to your neighbor again and tell them, tell them the title of my, of my message this morning. Look, you're not looking at each other. Come on. I see you guys. It's not a screen. Conversations that matter. Turn to someone else by you and say, let's have a conversation. But not right now. After church. After church. I think, I think the one thing we can really, really agree on is that conversations are very, very, very 
very important, right? It, and, and if you're a parent or a grandparent, sometimes even if you're an aunt or an uncle, there is one conversation that you have to have with your kids at some point in your life, right? It's usually the most awkward, most one-sided, let's get this over as quick as possible kind of conversation, right? And it, and it usually is not really classified as a conversation. It's more like one-sided awkward. And you all know what I'm talking about? The birds and the bees, come on. Just kidding, riding your bike. Just kidding. Birds and the bees, the sex talk, right? Right. Every single parent, uh, every single person who has ever been like in a, as a parent role or some kind of uh, mentor role has to have this conversation with your kids. And, uh, and, and maybe some of you can relate to this, but growing up in the 80s and 90s, for me personally, right, especially in the church, the, the conversation was very, very, very short, right? Don't have sex until you're married, the end. <laughs> right? That was kind of the conversation for a lot of us. And, and it's like, okay, but why? And then your parent, because the Bible says so. Okay, but why does the Bible say so? Because I'm your parent, and I said so, and don't ever ask me again. Right? Like, I don't know if that was your kind of experience with that, but that was kind of mine. And, and, and for a lot of us, maybe you can relate, is it wasn't really a conversation. It, we couldn't ask questions. We didn't ask questions. We didn't get a respond. We, we never really talked about it again. Uh, and for most, most of the time, and here, here's the point, and for most people, when there is a rule without context, their result is rebellion or pushback. Does that make sense? And unfortunately, for most people who didn't actually have a conversation around this topic, around sex, and where it was not actually discussion, and there, there was pushback, and there was rebellion, and people had to discover for themselves the pain, the heartbreak, and the result and the regret of misusing their sexuality. Right? I think, I think things could have been much different and more hearts could have been saved and protected if, if, if as families, we were actually open to discussion. If there was dialogue, if there was a safe place to ask questions uh, without judgment and without overreaction, if there had been a conversation about how God created us, how God created sex, how the, the pain of misusing it, the stories of, of, of where we have messed up or, 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 you know, God has healed and brought forgiveness and restoration. And if there was a safe place where all of us could have asked questions without being judged, and the point of all of that is this, is conversations matter. Because isn't it true for all of us? Is that regardless of age, regardless of what season in life we're at, we all have questions, we all have questions about, about God. We all have questions about maybe uh, the season of life we're leaving, looking back and being like, okay, God, what were you doing in here? Okay, what was happening? Why did I fail so bad at this aspect of my life? Right? Or we have questions about maybe the season of life we're going into. We all have questions, and we all have to be able to explore and wrestle with those questions and figure things out. And trying things out and finding out the answers because it's imperative to our growth and our process towards maturity. Being the youngest in my family, you see a lot. 
preach it, babies of the family, uh, and being introverted. And, and personally, I'm, I'm introverted, and I like to just observe a lot of things. And, and so I've been able to observe a lot of family dynamics over the years, just in the way me and my family were raised, uh, in the way that my siblings have, have lived their life out, uh, just from you know being a human. We can observe uh, family dynamics and all of that, that th- those types of things. And, and one of the beliefs that I've personally grabbed for myself over the years from watching all these different scenarios is that homes should be the safest place where conversations can happen. Whatever the topic, whatever the discussion, whatever the disagreement, our homes, the family unit, unit needs to be the safest place where questions can be talked about, discussed, and wrestled with. And real conversations can happen. My second belief that is kind of similar to this is, is I believe that church and the body of Christ should be another place where all questions about life, all questions about God, all questions about everything can be talked about, discussed, wrestled with, and, and worked through. And we don't always get the answer. That's the one thing about life is there are questions about my life and my past that I'll not get the answer until I get to heaven. But at least I need that safe place where I can ask the questions, where I can wrestle it with, I can discuss things and and try to figure things out. Because conversations matter, and the most dangerous conversation, the most dangerous questions are questions that are left unanswered or questions that are left hidden. And right now, in history, at this moment, we are living in a period where I personally believe that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, need to be willing to talk about anything and everything. And on top of that, we're going to start getting the heavy stuff. That's okay? Okay? We need to be the ones initiating the conversations. Right? Whether that's sitting your kids down and having the sex talk, whether it's, whether it's going into the community and meeting with people and just dialoguing and discussing and talking about you know, life and Jesus and, and all these different things, we need to be the ones who are initiating uh, uh, the discussions. And I also believe that most of the people alive today are people who want to have conversations about a wide range of topics, people who want to discuss ideas, ask questions, and have conversation. But there's one fundamental problem to every conversation that ever happens, and it's this. Pause for effect. You wrecked it. Uh, We're human. Right? We're all humans. We are broken. We're sinful. We're selfish. And it doesn't matter what the conversation is. We are always going to bring our emotions we're going to bring our perceptions. We're going to bring our thoughts. We're going to bring our past of how we were raised. We're going to bring our opinions, and we're going to bring our agendas to every single conversation, whether we intend to or not. That's not, that's not the issue. But we are going to bring all of that stuff to every conversation we have and look at things and look at the discussion and look at our life through the lens of our opinions, through the lens of our perceptions, through the lens of, of what we personally believe. Um, and, and as Christians, the, the, the fine line we have to figure out is in this conversation, am I looking at this through my lens or through God's lens? Because there are moments where we have to stand up for truth. Pastor Mark talked about this morning. There are times where every day we have to wake up and spiritually say, I am this far and no further. 
where we have to wake up every day and we have to battle spiritually because there is stuff going. And as Christians, we have to, we have to figure out where that fine line is. Because emotions are not bad, right? God gave them to us for a reason. Our opinions and perceptions are not bad. We're not robots. Uh, we, we, those are important. But emotions and, op- and opinions can very, very quickly, if not looked at through God's lens, can very, very, very quickly muddle a conversation, right? Um, just ask a toddler. If you try to have a conversation with a toddler who is hungry and, and tired and has been locked in a closet by their sibling for 15 minutes, that, right, that, that conversation's going to go very, very different than if that toddler is happy, uh, their love tank is full, and they're full, right? And, and, that, and that applies to all of our lives too, right? Like everything, if we boil it all down, we take out emotions, we take out our perception, our opinion, how we were raised, we take out all of that stuff, everything is fairly, can be fairly black and white, right? Think about uh, finances. If we boil finances down to the simplest core, it's give back to God, right? Save for the future, and live off the rest, right? Those three basic principles. If we all did that, it would be finances and money would, would for the most part, be very, very simple and, and, and a lot less stress for all of us. But as soon as we start adding in, you know, how our parents handled money, how we feel about money, uh, where we've lost money in the past, our experiences with money, then now all of a sudden the topic of money, the topic of finances has become this massive, like overblown topic that a lot of us are even scared to talk about. Is this making sense? Okay. Um, and so the, the, the point of that is when we start a conversation with our opinions, when we start a conversation with our emotions, with our agenda, and we allow our opinions and our emotions and, and, and our perspectives to dictate the direction of the conversation, we have already immediately removed ourselves from having a conversation. Does that make sense? Especially if the person on the other side of the conversation doesn't believe what we believe. If we come in with our opinion, we have immediately cut off connection with that person. Right? If I'm in the community talking to a teenager who's struggling with their gender, and I say, uh, well, this is what God did. I've immediately cut off any connection with that teenager and being able to speak into their life because I have come with my opinion. And, and to be honest, it's God's opinion. But if I approach it in the wrong way, I've immediately pushed that person away. And I can no longer speak life. I can no longer speak truth into that person's life because I'm coming at the conversation with, with my opinion and my perspective. And, and, and maybe, maybe we win the conversation, but then what? right? Here's my opinion. Believe me. Okay. They don't actually believe you because only God can change hearts. But, but maybe we feel better because we won the conversation. Um, and and, and maybe, maybe this is just me, but as I scroll through my Facebook, <laughs> let's be real, as I scroll through my Facebook, as I watch Instagram, as I have conversations with people, it feels like there are a lot of people nowadays who are initiating conversations or joining in on conversations with their opinions and are not looking to have a discussion. 
They are looking to win the conversation. And, and being totally real and totally honest, watching the internet over the last few months, it's gone quickly from, I'm here for you, we're in this together, you know, you're not alone, to now we have an internet which, and maybe you haven't noticed this, but I think I have noticed it, is, is you don't believe what I believe, you can die and go to hell. And that's literally conversations that I'm hearing and I'm seeing, and it, and it hurts my heart. Um, and, and, and I don't say that lightly. This is literally, I've, gone, I've deleted my Facebook and Instagram. I go on it if I have to post something for youth, but for the most part, I've actually taken a season to step back from it because as I scroll through and I see how people are talking to each other, it, like, it breaks my heart, and it's just this heavy weight, and I'm actually taking a season away from social media because I, I can't even, I don't even want to handle it. I can't even handle it, some of the things I'm seeing. Um, so, sometimes for fun, I kind of picture like as people are like arguing, you know, like in Lord of the Rings when Gollum's like over his ring and stuff like that. I kind of picture people's conversations on the internet like like they're kind of like hunched over like Gollum, but instead of a ring, they're like hunched over their computer, and they're like, "Oh, this article will perfectly prove my opinion," and so I'm going to post it online at this time, and then everybody will see my opinion, and then their hearts will change because I'm right. It, it's a fun. If you want to do it, it's really fun to just, like, picture people as Gollum in your head. I highly recommend it. But, but, but like, the Facebook algorithm isn't like that. It's like they've forgotten that, that when we share stuff on social media, most of the time it's wired to actually just share to people that probably already believe what you believe. And, uh, and, and it's like, but we've forgotten that because we all want to be right. And we want to prove our opinion. Um, so, Lord of the Rings, do it. <laughs> so, so this, this is kind of heavy. So before we kind of um, go any further, I, need, I want us all to do this something. Okay, we're, we're going to continue this conversation. But if you're watching at this at home, you, you need to, like, do this as well. Um, unless you're driving, don't do that. Um, but everyone take your hand like this, and you're going to make like a little box that's kind of round, okay? And, and so this is, your, this is your little box, and I, with your other hand, I want you to reach up to your head, and I want you to grab all your emotions, all your perceptions, all your opinions, and I want you to grab a hold of them and just like pull them out of your head, and like just put them in your little box in your other hand and then close that up real tight nothing can get out close it up if Jenna needs help Ben you help her close okay perfect okay and then let's put that under our seat and we're gonna leave that there for the next 45 minutes and then at the end of service you can like pull your little emotions out and you can like open it up and put it back in your head that's fine okay now pop quiz we're going to check to see if you did it. Okay? Yeah, none of you have had a quiz for a very long time, but we're going to check to make sure that you did it. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say two phrases, and if you, like, elbow your neighbor really hard, or you get up or walk out, or you send Pastor Mark a text telling, me to, telling him to fire me, then we know you didn't take all your motions out, and you need to reach back under your table, chair, grab your little box, and then pull out and put them back in, Okay? Fair? We're all on the same page? This okay? Okay. So here's your quiz. We should all be wearing masks. 
Ooh. No one walked out. We're good. Here's the second one. We should all not be wearing masks. Oh, you didn't put your emotions away. Uh oh. I don't know who that was, but just, we won't, we'll wait. Just reach under your table, under your chair, and put it away. Now, let's be very, very, very clear. It's kind of silly, but you can use this at home when you want to, like, fight your children. Just reach in, take them out, right? It's, it's kind of silly, but let's be very clear. I'm not giving any opinion. I'm not telling anyone what to do. And if you leave here thinking that today, then you completely miss the point. And, and I'm going to actually talk about masks in a, in a bit. But right now, the point of that is that this is a very, very, very hot topic right now. Right? And some people think that wearing masks is how, the best way to protect everybody. And other people think that you know, the government's trying to silence us. And there's so many conversations in the middle and in between. And the point of that was for all of us to do the real thing, which is actually to do a heart check. Right? Can we be real? Can we be honest with ourselves? Right? What was the first emotion when I said those two phrases? Was, the, was, was it the, the first opinion that, that jumped up when I said that? Was your initial reaction to jump up here and punch me in the face? Was, did you want to cheer? <laughs> I don't know who it was, so I, anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, did you want to cheer when you heard the statement? And, and the point is not to say whether one side is right or the other side is right. It's, the point is for each of us to individually examine our hearts. Because this is just an analogy. Let's take a step back. Let's put our emotions, our opinions, our agendas, and have a conversation about the phrase. It's six words out of the many, many, many words in the English language. And if I change one word in that sentence, all of a sudden that phrase has lost its power. If I substitute one of those words for something else, then the emotion and the opinions around that phrase has all of a sudden disappeared for most of us. And, and words are tricky, right? Words have the power of life and death. The phrase about masks has the power we give it. Our emotional response, the response of our opinion, only has power because we give it power. Words only have power if we assign power to them. Let's, uh, let's, let's think about it in a different way. Is is, is if, if as a child, let's pretend for a second that as a child, um, my dad would call me an idiot, right? Okay, let's, that didn't happen, but let's pretend for a second that did. If my dad called me an idiot as a child, and, and Lauren's dad didn't, if Pastor Chris came along and called Lauren an idiot, he would just brush it off because he has not assigned power to that word. But if Chris called me an idiot because of my perspective, because of how I grew up, because of how I was raised, because of my opinion, I've assigned power to that word that now has power over me. And if, and if I actually am able, and, and this is part of our process, right? We've all experienced this. All of us have those words that affect us deeply. And the part of maturity and growth is learning how to take a step back and say, okay, God, what's the truth? Because we need God's truth when it comes to what power we assign to our words. Our words have life and death, and, and, and we need God's truth to dictate 
what the power is on those words. And that's with every, every single word, whether it's, you know, the, the phrase about masks, our opinion and our perspective on masks, whether it's words we believe about ourselves, we need the power of God to dictate what the power of the words is. And here is why all of this is so very important, especially right now. As Jesus followers, we are commanded to engage with culture. And we should be on the forefront of engaging culture in conversations. Right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That means engaging with and talking to people that don't believe the gospel yet. Right? That means talking to people who have different thoughts, different opinions, different perceptions, different experiences, different agendas than we do. And as Christians, we have to walk a very fine line. We have to stand for truth when truth needs to be spoken and when truth needs to be, uh, uh, to d- be discussed. But can we also be people who, when engaging with culture, when engaging with our community, can we learn to put our emotions Can we learn to put our opinions and our agendas aside and just have a conversation? Can we be people who, instead of, you know, being drawn into the emotion and the anger and the hate, can we be people who bring peace to situations? Can we be people who bring love to situations? Can we be people who bring honor to people we don't want to honor? Because conversations build Relationships, and we were created for community, and there is a world desperate for people to just care about them. We will not win souls by, right, by being right and winning arguments. We will win souls by loving, honoring, and engaging with people. One of the things that I love about Jesus and, and the model that he gave us is, is, and there's so many examples in the Bible where he modeled this, Right? There's so many times where he chose in the moment to engage in a relationship than to engage in being right. Um, there's the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19, 1-7. And, and it says this, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quickly come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. It would have been right for Jesus as a Jew to not talk to a tax collector, to completely ignore him. Right? Tax collectors were despised in culture at the time. It would have been like one of us hanging out with someone from ISIS. Essentially, that's the comparison. But Jesus chose to be a friend to this man who was hated by everybody and to share a meal with him, to engage with him as a friend. He didn't tell him he was wrong. He didn't condemn him. He didn't judge him, which, which he could have because Jesus would have been right. But instead, Jesus gave up his right to be right for a relationship And Jesus invited himself over for lunch. It continues in verse 8. 
Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. And Zacchaeus' life was changed. There are other stories where Jesus engages with the culture of the time, right? He hangs out with prostitutes. He hangs out with Samaritan women, which as a, as a Jew in those days, he would have been right to not do. And, and Jesus could have ignored them completely, or he could have condemned them for the things they were doing or were going to do that were wrong, but he doesn't. He chose his love. He chose his honor, and he chooses to be a friend. And through that friendship, their lives were changed. Jesus demonstrated relationship over right every single time, time and time again. And the whole story of Jesus, really, if we think about it, was about him giving up his right, giving up his right as God, giving up his divinity, giving up his rights to condemn me, to condemn any of us, to come to earth and to suffer and die so that you and I could have an unearned relationship with Jesus. An unearned relationship with God. And so, here's my thought. If Jesus consistently gave up his right to be right, then what right do I have? Now, let me be very, very, very clear. I am not saying we should not have healthy boundaries. I'm not saying that we shouldn't voice our opinion. We need to have healthy boundaries and with others, and, and, it, and it doesn't mean we let people walk all over us, and it doesn't mean we don't stand up for what is right. Right? When it comes to our rights as Canadians, when it comes to our rights as human beings, when it comes to having healthy boundaries with others, or when it comes to you know, the marginalized, when it comes to people that are abused or being taken advantage of, we should stand up, we should speak up, and we should stand for what is right. That's not what I'm saying. We need to pray for God to break through people's minds to bring the truth. Exactly what Pastor Mark said this morning. But then, come on. As followers of Jesus, when it comes to loving others, when it comes to forgiving others, when it comes to honoring others, when it comes to unity within the the church family and within the whole body of Christ, when it comes to building relationships with others that we don't agree with or who need Jesus, we don't have any rights. And, And we're not going to do this well. But are we willing to continually correct course? When we mess up, are we willing to do a heart check? Are we willing to repent? Are we willing to ask forgiveness? Because those are the moments that will help us grow towards maturity. So let's get really, really real and practical for a moment. Right? When it comes to masks. I'm using this as an example through the whole entire thing. So if you still have emotions, now's the time. If you think that you're saving people from wearing a mask, or whether you think wearing a mask is a government conspiracy to save people... The real question is, are you allowing your opinion and the fact you are right to be more important than your relationships with others? Or do you allow it to become a divide between you and someone else? Right? God's been working in my heart as well, and and I've actually 
even had this journey in my own heart over the last month. Um, and, and, and I'm not saying what you should do, but I'm going to share just what went on in my heart over this topic. And hopefully, maybe it will help someone in here. But right when I first heard that I had to wear a mask when I went out in public, like I, re- I responded like an eight-year-old child that's been told to take their dishes to the sink. That may have happened last week. There's a bit of pouting, but it happened. Right? And so I responded like a month ago in, in that fashion, right? Everything inside of me responded like a child of, I don't want to wear a mask, blah, 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 right? Like in all the reasons of, you know, it doesn't work, blah, 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 all the reasons, right? And I'm just being real. Is this okay? Okay. That was my heart response. And, and God never like smacks you in the face. It's always like, <laughs> like, you know, like someone giving you a nudge. And, and so God's like, like, really? Paul, how's your heart? I'm like, oh, jeez. Like, no. <laughs> and, and, and so God and I just started to have this conversation. And, and it was painful, but it was good. And it was real, and it was honest. And God, like, revealed that my heart in this moment was more important than the outcome or what was going on in the world or whether I had to, you know, put a mask on when I go into a superstore. Um, and, and the thing that he used is, is if you look at the statistics for COVID, the people that are most susceptible are over the age of 65. And my mom is 73. And so in my conversation with God, he was like, what if your mom was actually had fear and she felt safer if you were wearing a mask? What if, you know, at the end of the day, this is about my ego and I don't want to look stupid? What if, what if you could not have that ego? God asks really good questions. It's really frustrating. And actually wear a mask. And I realized at the end of the day that my relationship with my mom was more important than me being right. And so whether I'm saving my mom by wearing a mask or whether I'm, you know, being a pushover because I'm wearing a mask, my relationship with my mom is more important to me than what I look like. Right? And, and even in this context, if, if as the leader of the youth group, if, if I figure it's safer for us, if we get together in person, that me and the other leaders have to wear masks and gloves, and all the other youth leaders quit, right? Building relationships with students is more important to me than looking like an idiot. And, and, and I don't say that to, to judge anybody or to like condemn anybody, but, but this was just my journey, and, and it was not fun. But God was like revealing things in me of like, hey, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. And I'm not saying one way or the other, right? Like that's between you and between God. But, 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 the, but the thing is, is that we need to be willing to have those conversations with God about everything. This is not just about masks. This is about every aspect of life. Because we cannot allow the unimportant to distract us from the important. We cannot allow distractions from the bigger picture. Go into all the world. 
We cannot allow our opinions to distract us from reaching a broken and dying world, whether we have to wear masks or we don't. The apostles were being murdered for talking about Jesus. We need, in those moments, we need God's opinion, we need God's perspective, and we need God's agenda. Right? Because here's, here's the big picture. If masks are such a big deal and we can't even in a healthy way navigate like that conversation and continue to love each other and walk in unity through the midst of you know, that tension and all that stuff that's going on, then really how are we going to put aside our emotions, our opinions, our agendas when it comes to navigating a conversation with a culture who is not called to the standards that we are as Christians? That's a harder conversation, right? If, if a teen comes to one of us with a question and wants to have a conversation about the Black Lives Matter movement, in that moment, I said it, in that moment, can we put aside our opinions on what the organization is doing and the evil things that are going on? And can we have a conversation with that teenager about racism? about how we need to check our heart and how we need to appreciate and love other cultures. If a friend came to you and told you they were a homosexual, could you continue to walk with them, to love them, and to honor them in the journey that they're on between them and God and be the hands and feet of Jesus in their life? Right? These are heavy questions that we all have to like, come to terms with in the culture that we're living in today. Or what about having a conversation with or spending time with someone who's struggling with their gender or believes they're transgender? Can we continue to minister to them? Can we continue to love them? Can we continue to pray with them as they're walking through their journey? Because we're all on a journey. And God's going to get all of us one way or the other. And we as people are not called to, to judge and condemn. We're called to walk with. Right? I'm so grateful for the people in my life who, when I was 14, were like, you should be an amazing drummer and just like let the Holy Spirit go through you and everyone should be changed because of your drumming. But you know, Pastor Ken and I and, and, and everyone else in this church gave me the space to learn and to grow and to develop. And so can we be that for other people? Could we engage in healthy conversations that build relationships? Whatever that looks like rather than engage in conversations that may destroy relationships? Can we look past the issues and really love the people? Because we're called to love and honor. So practically, how do we practice this? And it's, and it's really a very big question, and we all need a reminder from time to time. And, and, and I've been reading Romans lately, uh, and I was actually going to read the whole thing, but for sake of time, um, um, I won't. Um, but, but Romans is Paul's letter, to the new church in Rome. And Romans 12 is where he practically tells them how to live out their life together. Um, and, and if you have a chance, like today, go read Romans 12. And if you want to deal with some hard things about authority, read 13. <laughs> but read it, everything with like, okay, God, you work in me. Like, I read those chapters and I was like, oh, <laughs> Um, so I want to just challenge you all. Go home today. Read chapter 12 of Romans. Um, and, and 
as I was praying this morning or this week and in the past couple of weeks about this morning and, and as I was kind of planning things out, I kept asking myself, okay, God, how can I remember this? Because this is all for me. And maybe there's a, one person here who benefits from this conversation I've had with myself. <laughs> um, but, and, and then how can I help everyone watching online or everyone here remember this? And, and so I came up with a phrase that in a few, mo- few moments, we're all going to say it together. And if you are really bad at remembering things, that's okay. I made sure it rhymed. And here's the phrase. Here's the phrase. Before I act or speak, will I choose meek? Before I act or speak, will I choose meek? And why did I pick the word meek? Because I needed something that rhymed. Just kidding. In Matthew 5, Jesus starts his famous Sermon on the Mount. And and in verse 5, as I was praying this last few weeks, verse 5 kept popping up in my head and my heart. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The NLT NLT version says, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Uh, Biblical definition on, on Google that I found. Meekness is an attribute of human nature and behavior. It has been defined several ways. Righteous, humble, teachable, and patient under suffering. Long-suffering, willing to follow gospel teachings, an attribute of a true disciple. And isn't this exactly what our world needs right now? More humility, more patience, more people who are willing to listen to what Jesus says and actually follow through on, on it. And, and I don't know about you, but I want to see a revival through Spruce Grove, a revival through Parkland County, a revival through Alberta, and a revival through Canada, because I want the whole earth. I want the whole earth to experience Jesus like never before. So let's all say this together. Before I act or speak, will I choose meek? Ready? One, two, three. Before I act or speak, will I choose meek? Good job. And, and this is why this is important. I am telling you, there are so many people who have written off church and written off Christians, and not because they have a problem with Jesus, but it's because there was someone who unfortunately didn't choose humility. And there was a conversation where they came in with the intention of being right, and they pushed that person away. Before I act or speak, will I choose meek? Before I act or speak, before I share that Facebook article, before I respond to my friend, a family, a coworker, a stranger on the, street, on the street with my opinion and my agenda, will I choose meek? In that moment, before I do that, will I check my heart with Jesus? In that moment, will I choose my reaction? In that moment, with that person, with that that friend or coworker, whoever, do I want to be right or am I responding to build and strengthen a relationship and reflect the Jesus we are trying to be more and more like every single day? And we are going to get this wrong. We are human and we have to have grace for ourselves and grace for each other. But maturity is not an age. Maturity is a growth process where we work to examine our own hearts and our own motives and then make the choice to respond in a healthy way. Or because we're human, if we mess up, We choose to face our ego, to face our humanity, and do what we can to repair what we broke or what we messed up. 
because we're going to make mistakes. And, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, and, and I'm going to end with this. We're going to sing uh, God of Revival. Uh, it's been on my heart all week, and they sang it this morning, and we're going to sing it again. Um, but we have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. We have to be comfortable with putting our thoughts, our, our opinions, our emotions aside and having uncomfortable conversations for the sake of relationship, right? Take a look around this room. Take 10, let's take 10 seconds, look around this room at all the beautiful faces in this room. If you're at home online, just look around your room or just pretend you're here looking at all the beautiful faces. <laughs> not, not one person is in this room or in the family of God because someone forced them to believe something. Every single person in here, every single person that's a part of our church family, every person that's a part of God's family is there because someone somewhere cared about them and loved them enough to walk with them in life and to do life with them and invited them into something bigger than themselves. A couple of weeks ago at church, Pastor Chris preached, and, and it, was, it was kind of similar to what I talked about this morning. And if you haven't seen it or need a refresher, like go back and rewatch it because it was good. And Pastor Mark talks about this stuff all the time. And, and I find that when God lays something on my heart when I, when I get to preach, like normally like two weeks before I preach, like Chris or Mark will preach that exact same thing. And it's kind of frustrating. But it's actually a good confirmation because it makes me realize, oh, I'm not an idiot. But, but Pastor Chris shared a vision he had about revival that is coming and that God wants to release. And, and I believe revival in the future will not look like revival from the past. Revival will not be where God moves in one place and everybody flocks to go there. That may be a part. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that. It might be a part. But I believe revival of the future will not happen in a stadium. It will happen in homes. I believe people all over the earth will be touched by God in a moment and then they will need fathers and mothers who will humbly love and just do life with them. Mothers and fathers who will put aside their emotions, put aside their opinion, put aside their perspectives and do their best to choose relationships over being right because the meek will inherit the earth. The humble will inherit the earth. And I don't know about you, but I want the earth. I'm going to turn it over to the worship team and and then Pastor Chris will come up at the end. But as we go into this song, I want to encourage you to stand, sit, wherever you're at. As we worship, let's do a heart check. God, where in my life and with who in my life have I chosen right over relationship? And God, what can I do today to love my neighbor the way that you love them?
Father, thank you today for the advancement of your kingdom in our lives. Lord, do your work inside of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. But I want to answer a burning question I know that some of you have. Did Pastor Mark sanction this message? (laughs) Is this message a rebuke of being outspoken? Is this, uh, does this mean we can't say anything or do anything? What, what, is, what is the practical application of this? Whether he said it or didn't say it, this is his intent and this is what I know. James, as we've talked about recently, says this. The wrath of man cannot produce the righteousness of God. That's the heart of this. That's the heart of this. So when you're, when you're contending for the truth is fueled by the wrath of men, by disgust for other human beings, there's something missing. There's a key ingredient that's missing, and that's the point. Yeah, we, are, we need to be a light. But Jesus said, if the light that is in you is darkness, hey, come on. The disciples heard Jesus say many gentle things, but he heard them, he heard Jesus, they heard Jesus give scathing rebukes to the Pharisees publicly. To them, that was permission to let their rage fly whenever they felt irritated. Uh uh-uh. uh. He said, no, no, no. You don't, you, you misunderstood what I'm really about. Because even when I am being sharp, even when I'm, when I'm being seemingly harsh, there is a redemptive motivation always. That at the heart of everything I do, there's love. You cannot, you cannot excuse your rage, your contempt by truth. That's the point of what he's saying. And he, he ran a razor's edge in trying to do that. And uh, if you have questions about that, you can certainly ask Curse or I. But I sanction this message. I bless this message. Because we're looking for a manifestation of the love of God that is married to truth, that does not compromise truth, but it certainly cannot compromise love. How do you do that? Well, we don't know. And we're working our way towards an expression that overcomes the world. And it's coming. But we can't be tolerant of untruth or contempt in our words. So bless you for joining us. Bless you for being here.